Welcome to the Wizards of Dapps podcast, where we interview the creators of various decentralized applications in the Web3 ecosystem. We learn about how they are built and the insights that come from shipping. And we're your co-hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Bethany. Welcome to back to this week's Wizards of Dapps podcast, uh, where we talk to James Young from Abridged. So James Young was part of the ad chain launch. He helped launch an uh, ad chain TCR, the first TCR on Ethereum, and was also part of the early team at Spankchain, where he helped you know, drive forward a lot of research and development around state channels and payment channels. He also helped launch MolecDAO and also helped fork Metacontrol DAO. We talk about his journey where, you know, from two years ago, where he was working on DAP SDKs, focusing on dev development, right, resources, to now really focusing on no-code tools for DAO ops and automated tools for DAOs in general. This was one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far, and I really hope you enjoy this one. He's an experienced builder and lots to learn from, I guess. Hope you guys enjoy this. So um, why, why should I be on TikTok? You've been pushing me to go on TikTok. What the fuck is that all about? You know, last conversation, you convinced me to be like, say, okay, I'm going to create an artist profile and tip people uh, on TikTok. And I, I agree to that on a whim. <laughs> like that makes sense, but, you know, we'll see what happens. But what's your, what's your whole philosophy, you know, on, on TikTok in relation to crypto? Well, I think that's where the next generation is at. and. I think it'll be easier to, from a, like a long play incentive game here, this is the generation that still hasn't had their habits when it comes to financial uh, habits set yet. And it's easier to set the habit than it is to like have like a boomer unlearn or people that are already set in their ways to kind of unlearn and then relearn a new habit. That's the kind of core fundamental. and. It goes in line, I can unpack this a bit more because there's context in terms of kind of my journey into crypto uh, before I kind of unpack that. I do agree with that. My parents, when I was young, bought me a computer to help me get ahead of the curve, but they didn't, they didn't know anything about computers. Right. <laughs> right. Th- that actually is the exact same story uh, that my dad had. Like I was, I was in the Bay Area growing up and he bought me a computer when I was like in the second grade and he's like, okay, learn this. And I was like, okay. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, I don't know, this seems to be the future. And he had some friends like, this is like pre-internet, like this is like Silicon Valley, like 1.0, like the rise of HP kind of time frame here. So I think that you know, this is the kind of generation to, to hit. And, you know, there's also a lot of things to learn with uh, TikTok growth. And I had heard that kind of through the grapevine that things were happening in crypto. I didn't quite understand or know the numbers. Actually, some numbers just recently came out. So, you know, Jack Dorsey from Twitter also has cash. He actually hired, now it's out, uh, public information hired a bunch of influencers, and so he hired people from the Hype House, which is a collab in LA, to push the Cash app. And the actual revenue uh, from last quarter from Cash came out, and they made a hundred and fifty million dollars Cash app alone on just Bitcoin revenue in Cash app. And they Cash hired uh, Cash app hired uh, an influencer to create a cash app song. And that cash app song has 136 million video views. Yeah. It's the keys distribution, right? Yeah. And this kind of like goes into, you know, uh, it's a, I guess, kind of coincidentally, my learnings from just my experience in crypto. So I came to crypto, you know, 20 or Ethereum specifically in 2016, I helped write the Atchin white paper. At that time, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is a great game theoretical challenge. And if you can do the game theory, this is all under this like uh, heading of build it and they will come. So it was Ad Chain in 2017, you know, okay, well, 
you actually need a scalable solution. So it was like Spain chain in 2018. And then we're like, okay, well, you know, every, everything that I did highlighted a deeper problem. So 2017, uh, the TCR, three transactions in order just to submit something into a registry said, you know what, we need something that's scalable. So from 2017 ad chain, 2018 spank chain, because state channels, we just need payment channels, right? And then everything is solved. And then saw that there was this huge friction of user onboarding. So 2019 started a bridge and we did our V1 and we're like, okay, if we can do this. I still remember a lot of the conversations nearly, I think just like end of 2018 when you were transitioning from uh, Spanked to like Arcanova, that was still what the uh, was called. Yeah. I don't want to say I told you, <laughs> but I've always been like, it's use cases. And then we were, we were talking about, you know, how, you know, say super apps can, you know, basically help aggregate users around various micro use cases. Right. But, you know, you had a different perspective back then. I, just, I still remember you saying, you know, if you build the right tools for developers, they'll build everything else. Do you still feel the same? You know, what was interesting is that that was, I think what was interesting. So back then, now I think about it, like I prided myself with V1. Now that I look back on it, you know, it it actually should have been a bigger signal for me because back then I prided myself on like, hey, you know what? When we integrated with all these developers for our V1 of our SDK, like 99% of the questions were not about the SDK. They were just about Web3 and tooling in general. And I was like, hey, you know, our, our SDK is so easy to integrate. By the way, before we go on, what does the SDK do? You know, what is it uh, built for, a bridged SDK? Yeah, so the SDK does a couple of things. It basically allows a developer to create a contract-based wallet counterfactually. And then we have a relayer uh, embedded in it so that the relayer, once it sees that accounts have hit a contract address prior to the contract being deployed, will deploy the contract on the user's behalf and then get refunded the gas. So if you have a contract address and the contract is not yet deployed, there's no bytecode behind it, the funds behind that contract address are effectively locked. So I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, but at a high level, it uh, allows for easy onboarding and a layer two solution. You deploy the contracts once uh, only funds. Yeah, so that you know you don't get drained, right? So so you you built that right, uh, and you had a bunch of projects kind of build on top of it, integrate it, right? And you know what was that like? You know what did you learn from that? What was the state of mind? Yeah, so just kind of like every time I think I know what the problem is, it spotlights a deeper problem. So ad chain <laughs> spotlighted layer two, spank chain spotlighted user onboarding, user onboarding spotlighted uh, this issue where like dev tools in Ethereum have quite a bit of ways to go. And so I was like, yeah. what do we do? And, you know, we learned a lot from V1 to V2 and optimize our SDK, but really understood that, you know what, we have to actually like focus on dev tooling in general. And so in our go-to-market strategy, we're like, we can't just release a better version of our SDK. We have to solve the deeper problem. So there was this whole developer problem. And to your point, when it comes to distribution, we're like, wait a second. When we were talking to these developers, they had no clue of what CAC was. <laughs> and we're like, wait a second. Like, do you, do you understand, like, how are you going to get users and everything? I think, I don't know what it is, you know, like this whole like ICO thing of 2017, I think has ruined a generation of developers in Ethereum because they just think right. like- Just set the target. It just misdirected everyone. Totally right? misdirected everyone. <laughs> you know, the market has, is suffering for it. And hopefully, you know, I think like within a year or two, you know, those ICO projects will effectively run out of money or the tokens will go to zero or- yeah, right. It's like, you know, the projects that are coming out of the bear market, right, are distinctly different in DNA. You know, small lean, the iterative, the focus on like, you know, users and, you know, use cases, as opposed to, you know, complex systems that, you know, highly abstract and frankly, you know, no one will use, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's almost day and night, right? And I think like, we'll almost see that this DNA kind of evolve, right, into something, you know, much more tactically focused. Yeah, 
Yeah, and there's going to be a focus on distribution. No one's thinking about distribution, right? And to your point, it's all about distribution. And funny thing is, is that, you know, during this time, this last year, uh, helping have uh, launched Moloch and, and MetaCartel, it was like, wait a second, there are these communities that already exist. And, you know, instead of this, like, build it and they will come mentality, just service the community that's already there. One by one, right? Yeah. And then- you know, it's like, I hate mass adoption, that idea. I also hate it every time you say it because it fucking annoys me because it's like, to me, okay, like everyone who says mass adoption, mostly who have heard, have never really done real growth. Like they've never took a product and got it to the hands of a hundred people. It's not fucking growth hacking. It's just talking to a hundred people <laughs> and, you know, and figuring out what they need. Right. And it's, it's like, that's mass adoption is, unless you're talking like, really, really, really general use case, like to a a broader market, it doesn't apply in most cases, right? It's really, you know, a better model I I offer up is that, you know, it's about helping one small community at a time. And no matter how small or big that community is, why don't we actually start with smaller communities and figure out how we can take a product, right, within crypto use case, and then deliver the solution to them, right? And if we can do it, bring the solution or use case, right, to one community, can we do it to two, then three, then four? And then, you know, then can you figure out how to scale that uh, distribution, right? <laughs> to even more communities at a time, right? And, you know, if you can get that uh, method down and then maybe it goes viral, whatever, right? Only once you gain some level of growth and success does it look like it's mainstream. Like the I mean mainstream is a lagging indicator. You know, they've already succeeded a long time ago. It's like, it's like TikTok, you know, the moment it successfully, like, you know, captured the, the eight to 13 year old market of like, you know, what's it called? Voice miming? I forgot the word for it. Karaoke? Lip sync? Yeah, lip syncing. Karaoke is such a boomer. Yes, um, lip syncing. It's like, yeah, you know, once they captured that market, it's like they basically won, right? They, they got the, you know, they basically built enough uh, momentum uh, and viral capacity to just basically take over the internet, right? But like, you know, they had to get there in the first place, right? Capture that first, you know, inch, right? I just think like to me, like a lot of people, a lot of people talk about mass adoption, the same with UX, right? It's like the same narrative of like, oh, like my product really sucks and has no use case. Therefore, I'm going to just blame it on like shit UX. My product's not the fault. It's, it's, you know, Ethereum, obviously, you know, and same with like, you know, mass adoption. It's like, oh, obviously we, we don't have growth. The community is too small, whatever. It's like, it's like, well, have you tried just taking it to like the next hundred people <laughs> and the next a hundred people, et cetera, right? Or even, yeah. Um, that's my rant, but no, I think yeah. I, that's absolutely true. I think, you know, when it comes to like what the notion of a, a MVP or minimal viable product is, it's really just like you're testing out your, your community. Right. And so when, for example, when we launched, uh, Malik didn't know that it was going to be that successful or, you know, going to be able to generate that much demand. I guess now when you look back, that was like the first quote unquote killer app of Ethereum was the DAO. And so like the hypothesis <laughs> definitely had demand, right? Yeah. And so, you know, coming off of Moloch was like, okay, is it just going to be too like echo chambery, inner circle, you know, because it was so technically focused and when it launched on the mission of helping with ETH2. And this is kind of where it's like, okay, let's experiment, right? And I think to your point in terms of community i mean do you, i mean you remember when we started meta cartel and kind of how we kind of hacked that together uh, <laughs> you know in terms of like why meta cartel dao at that point in time i don't know if you want to tell that story there were a lot of factors writing into it, right and i and to everyone who asked like you know i'm very honest it's like firstly it's like we had the narrative narrative there right you know not only with the dao's right like basically to me it's like Mogdow back then, right, was the four-minute mile. Before then, it was highly theoretical. Everyone was just highly talking about it in very, you know, abstract terms. We haven't really seen one in real practice and operation. But then Moloch, this MVP just came along, right? Try to solve a very simple problem, you know, <laughs> solve like a research, create a research report or, and solve like general problems within EVE2 research and, you know, general Ethereum public funding, right? It came in, did that, and coordinated initially, you know, just over $250,000, something like that, right? And started, you know, funding work. And then, you know, that was almost like the moment where I saw, at least personally to me, it was like, oh, wow, DAOs can work like today. 
and you know they can coordinate capital and people want to coordinate capital and i think like that was like the four minute mile in which like where everyone else saw that and was and started running four minute miles right right and you know medical as well right it was like right timing i think like there was still a lot of hype around Mark. it was still very <laughs> you can still like if you created a DAO back then right anyone would have just like put money in because they wanted to join right it's a bit harder now <laughs> obviously the narrative of like me being kicked first person rejected from all that was funny but also you know we medical already had an existing community right working on meta transactions that were very aligned with like building you know dApps and working the application layer right and along with that you know we just rode the hype along with all of these factors right and just got the job done right uh, and launched the thing and i think the key thing that i realized was that you know back then is that people really wanted to coordinate and collaborate. I just don't think people had like a real meaningful way to do so. Before then, Ethereum was just littered with like, you know, forums and working groups and, and Zoom calls that just went on and on with, with nothing much done. You know, a lot of the collaboration and, you know, information sharing, but nothing really, really got done. You had to beg for grants, basically, you know, otherwise. Yeah, there wasn't skin in the game where you had to like put in your own like, money in and then like help coordinate and get projects going and to your point i think yeah that is what the power of a dao is and the fundamental set what really struck out to me when it came to meta cartel was mcon zero seems ages ago but yeah do you want to tell everyone what that is yeah so after the last devcon all the members of meta cartel of the DAO said, let's have our own like well, at least most of most of the core members involved. Most of the core members involved decided like let's have our own conference. It was more like an offsite, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was more like an offsite. We joked it was MCON Zero, right? It was like Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was small. What really uh kind of signaled to me was you had this online community that was incentivized. And to your point, like coming from initially a working group, a community that came from meta transactions. Now, you know, we are meeting in in Colorado and kind of like the full circle moment was when like Austin Griffith, you know, came by, right? You know, and and like he's the one that actually helped, I think, start the whole like meta transaction. He brought a lot of awareness. He kind of like promoted the first tutorials on them, right? Right. And he and that was how the community first kind of started. And what it kind of like signaled to me and was kind of the aha moment was you can actually have these online groups. They will meet. They will coordinate. They are incentivized uh, and they have skin in the game. And actually, now that I think about it, it was MCON Zero. uh, And I was talking with Austin, actually, and he was showing me kind of previews of what he was building, which would have, which became ETH.build. And like, I was heavily into visual coding, you know, in a previous lifetime. And I thought from like going back and tying the conversation of uh, a bridge and our V1 product, I was like, the dev experience is like way too hard. So I had always thought in the back that of is, my that mind. That's true. It, the, funnel's, the funnel's too uh, small as well. Yeah, it, it just is like you have to have all this set up in order to to get like, you know, smart contract to get your environment going. Austin was showing, he was using a library, I think, called Lightgraph to do this. And I had experience with FlowHub and these other like no-code platforms, NoFlow and Node-RED. And I thought, it's the DevX experience. We got to turn this into a no code experience. And then that was like coupled with just having these people like coming from like random telegram groups. And that kind of was this like epiphany or aha, aha moment for me, actually, after I was like, okay, well, what did I get out of MCON zero, you know, Ethereum and just kind of reflecting, how am I going to, do things different in our V2 SDK compared to V1. The whole experience kind of synthesized saying, well, you know what? Like we have groups that are coordinating. Like you can attest, I'm sure that, you know, you live and breathe in Telegram chats. Basically. Right. And so I was like, okay, so we have these people that have met online. To your point, you got to start with these small communities and they're all in Telegram. (laughs) Right. And, so that's the distribution part. And then we have like, you know, this DevX 
experience that's super hard. And so for our V2, for Bridge, that's kind of synthesis of all of that learning of like, okay, we need to not only like make the DevX experience easier with like this no code platform, but we have to like bring it to people where they're at. And so all of this was like coupled in this backdrop of launching Moloch, Meta Cartel, the rise of TikTok. And so just taking a step back and looking what's going on and shifting from this like build it and they will come mentality to like, hey, you know what? There are people that want to like coordinate together. Let's just make it easy for them to coordinate and then just build what they want to make it easier to coordinate. And for a lack of a better term, we just kind of called this DAO ops. When did that get coined? Do you remember? I think I heard it first from you, actually. <laughs> you're, you're just like, oh, what are you doing? And I was explaining, you're like, oh, it's like DAO ops? And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a okay, I'll take that. Because it's like the, the smart contract writing and stuff really is not the hard part. It's all that human coordination and all of that. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like of every narrative, there's a lining of truth. But then there's always like the misstep where everyone like falls for it, right? And then like blames, <laughs> blames by the shit to, onto some other reason, right? And I think like distribution is the key and like Hunty um, allowing people to coordinate very easily, right, is also the key, right? But I feel like that also needs to be closely coupled, right? We're almost, I, I feel like we're actually, with a bridge this iteration, we're actually like very close, like this time, because to me, it's like, that is true. You know, community is your competitive advantage, right? But I think that the software and the tooling, you know, needs to be matched with like this operational guidance even, right? Of like, how do you coordinate people? How do you build communities? And I think that, you know, generally there's never been like a lot of literature on that because you've no one's ever been able to like make a lot of money from communities aside from like <laughs> selling merch, right? That Or like, you know, the communities and groups of people have just like on the internet never been able to coordinate money together very easily. I think it, it was the platforms that help communities coordinate that actually extract all the value. In crypto now, you have the communities themselves that can- You own you it. Own it, right. So now with crypto, that is the differentiating. That's the difference now. It's like, I think that because people think that, and it had only been the fact or the case that the platforms make the money, people think now in crypto, let's create our own platform. But you can actually keep the users on the platform they're on right now and help the community monetize. And that's where, because it, it, it's hard. Right. Communities have lacked business models for the longest you know, time. Due to a wide of, variety of reasons, including like just compliance and Web2, it's just like been very hard for like uh, as a company to build a product to allow like a ton of people to move tiny bits of money all around with each other, right? That's just like it, by nature, it's a compliance nightmare as well. Just practically, that's it's just infeasible. Yeah. Right. And the larger the company, the more at stake. But, you know, then you have like these smart contracts in these DAOs where, you know, people can just bypass all that and self-coordinate uh, with their own <laughs> I guess, permissionlessly, if you will, right? With their own money that they own, you know, without that they don't need to, I guess, follow any rules, et cetera. You can literally do whatever they want, right? And own what they have. That's right. I think that is the space to explore. And that's why I think uh, you can see, it's not about like creating your own corporation, right? It's so hard to unlearn what the paradigms of the past are because we're using that to frame uh, <laughs> the current, kind of setting uh, when it comes to crypto. It's not about that. It's just about empowering communities. A lot of people are talking about like, how do we like take this and, you know, map it backwards to what we know. But like, honestly, you know, how do we know that, you know, there's just like entire new class of organizations, you know, there's B2B, you know, selling to small, uh, medium enterprises and large enterprise companies. They're selling to directly to customers. You know, I think this is probably the rise of like selling to communities as an entity. Now that they can have money, they can own it. And, you know, I think this is like another key point of like, you know, running these DAOs, I've been trying to find software to use, right? And looking at a lot of the pricing tiers, they just like don't map to like an online community. It's just like not catered for it absolutely whatsoever, right? It's like, you know, online community is as big as, you know, enterprises and small, medium companies who like easily can get up to 100 plus members in a DAO uh, fairly quickly within a year or so, right? Or more. They're just as poor as consumers. <laughs> you know, they just have as little attention and money as consumers. 
they're driven by individual choice and group choice, I guess, right, in many senses. And they're in this limbo where previously on the internet, they've mostly been just like serviced by software, forum software, chat software, and they've never like had any business models, right? People have like successfully been able to monetize like one-to community relationships, like one-to-many and like one-to-one relationships in many senses, right? Through Instagram, uh, you know, Etsy or whatever, right? Or Patreon even. But like we've lacked like these business models or ability for groups to monetize themselves with in accordance to other groups and even individuals. So many to one or many to many. That's just like completely lacked or just doesn't exist. So I actually think it's going to, we're going to see a tiny business class come out. This is super fascinating for me because I think like this is where like the future is heading. Like we got to skate to where the puck will be at. And in terms of like viable business models, that's the kind of experimentation. Yeah, I've been thinking a fuck ton about that, right? You know, because, you know, Medicartel, we're not like, we're just like people building dApps, right? And we have a central pool of money and this is unsustainable. And a big strategy of what we've been doing in the community is, you know, growing our community, but creating this really inclusive, I guess, community commons that are actually revenue generating so that we can kind of convert, you know, a lot of our reach and social capital in the space into real revenue and real uh, food on the table, right? You know, Radio, the community-run dev shop, VentureDAO, you know, our investment DAO, right? Then we're just setting these things up, but, you know, and as we're doing that, we're launching a lot of DAOs and thinking, you know, how do we actually kind of help people launch as many DAOs as possible while kind of generate revenue and make a living out of this, right? I've started to stumble upon certain walls, at least axioms of which I think, you know, will stand. It's like the first one is that unlike in Web2, where, you know, Web2 will uh, monetize off the complexity of compliance and legals, right? And creating a DAO is very easy. AngelList's entire business model is like, you know, we can set, set up your fund for you very quickly. In Web3, it's just as easy as click going to DAO house, right? And setting up, you know, V1 or V2 Moloch DAOs, et cetera. It's super easy. So like, and it's open source software, you know, it's anyone can build it. So to me, that's like a very obvious sign of like, you can't monetize uh, the creation of DAOs. Right. Then I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> okay, if you can't monetize the creation of DAOs, right? What is there to monetize? I'm trying to think from the, I mean, my perspective is like, you know, I think DAOs can actually empower for ways for communities to exist. And, you know, a lot of communities could organize in a DAO. How do we build a business out of this, right? Maybe this is the wrong mental model completely. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. It could honestly be something I'm not comprehending, right? But hence, I'm like getting involved in a lot of DAOs, figuring out, you know, how they evolve. No, I really appreciate that. I think that that's how, you know, instead of being all theoretical and talking about it and writing a white paper, we're actually like, like living it, right? Like that's the best way to learn is just doing it. Correct. Because this stuff means food on the table. Like, you know, this is like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm like taking tiny bits of income from different DAOs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like, you know, all of this is eventually, it needs to lead somewhere, right? You know, it leads to a real edge. And I think we are getting there. We are discovering it. I disagree with like, I agree that, you know, we need to take DAOs to other known crypto communities because there's a lot more communities out there that can leverage the power of DAOs, right? I also think that, you know, that lack of approach outside of the crypto space is mainly due to the fact that we haven't experimented with DAOs enough. Metacontrol, like we're barely, you know, just over six to seven, maybe eight months in without DAO now, right? And we're just starting to realize some of the second order effects of like what it means to create a DAO within a community. We have no clue. <laughs> we're not even a year in. We're not even two years in. I, you know, Moloch has only hit one year. To me, it's like we've barely understand what a DAO is, what it can do, how it operate, how, you know, all the tools that we need. We're barely, we're on the first step, right? My sense at East Denver, and I'm probably biased, but what it seemed like was like, Meta Cartel was like everywhere. It seemed like from the outside, I can understand the perspective of like it's shooting out of nowhere. But to your point of like second order effect, I saw second order effects kind of at East Denver of like people are like, what is this and what's going on? And well, Meta Cartel is just doing the simple things well, I think, and not caring about a lot of the rest. We're not very polished in many senses, but we do get like a lot of the simple things down. Just finding earliest and best projects, early stages. That's the, if we can do that really well, we'll do well with our grants, et cetera, right? A lot of the things at Eve Denver, it's like, it's not like you create a DAO and magically it colludes and coordinates or whatever, right? No, no, not at all. That was basic project planning and organization and, you know, the DAO ops and just 
normal operations of delegating people, right, to different roles. That was bread and butter. You know, you'll find that in every organization or every online community. What I appreciate and what I saw from that, to your point, is that like writing smart contracts and the tech behind it is not that difficult. And, you know, with the contract, you have to be open source by default. And from that, to your point, it's like people will copy and paste and do it on their own, right? Like MetaCartel is just basically fork Moloch. But the hard part, the hard part and the differentiating part is a community building. And so I think you have a good instinct for that from prior experience or whatever, and was able to move that community forward. And so now that we have this like contract that helps allow people to trust these like credible commitments that will happen in the future, that's like the tip of the iceberg. That's what you see kind of above water, but below water is all that coordination. It's really, the hard part is really- There's a lot of heavy lifting yeah. by James Wall, Alex Smashmash, you know, like a lot of, and you know, then all of those folks, right? You know, just insane amount of like brute force to get everything done. Yeah, this is stuff you don't see, right? This is the stuff that actually makes everything work. And it's not the tech, really. It's just like shared goals, like you said, when it comes to like the Guild uh, and trying to coordinate and you have like all these different forks of like all these different DAOs and you think, okay, I lift, I make a DAO, everyone will be incentivized and everything is like peachy keen. And that's not how it works. I've seen some, you know, uh, grants DAOs come up recently and participate in some, right? Just like, you know, like not grants DAOs, but like in the traditional sense, like Moloch, but project uh, took grants DAOs where, you know, it's a, it's a token project, what's something like that or infrastructure project. And they have an ecosystem grants DAO that they've given voting power to community members with no skin in the game. They've actually struggled immensely because there's no skin in the game. There's no skin in the game, right? Just like no one has, gives a shit. I had to join the project of putting up cash of my own that probably wouldn't join, right? In many cases, which is the fascinating thing, right? All of this is underpinned by having skin. Everyone involved has DAO shares, whether it's one share or 10 or 20 or even 100, right? How do you like with Venture Guild or with like Raid Guild see like one, the monetization revenue path, and then two, how do we scale this thing? Maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, but like the kind of existential question when it comes to like, especially like with Moloch and these grant giving DAOs is like, how do you sustain them? Or do you transition them? And, or do you have like at the end an ICO or like, what is that? And what does that look like? I love how I'm being uh, asked the questions now. I love this from, I heard this first from Intercom, right? You know, Intercom is famous for, yes, it's, you know, customer support software, but also for the podcasts. And A16Z, you know, also for the podcast as well. And in many senses, you know, Intercom, for example, it's just, you know, a media business plus a software business. Media businesses are great at aggregating uh, attention, eyes, customers, users, and creating community. You know, uh, software uh, businesses are great at, you know, generating revenue, poor at attracting eyes. Same thing with, you know, with a lot of venture capital. And, I, you know, to me, it's like how I'm in my mental model, the grants down, metacartal down, this main social fabric, right, is a media business side of things. That's the community development uh, DAO. And Raid Guild is, you know, for example, the dev shop, community-run dev shop, that's purely focused on generating revenue from that community development. And VentureDAO purely generating profits from the central pool of uh, community development and, and social capital, et cetera, and the wider community network, right? And like the hope for me is like, there's a lot of questions around scaling. What it seems to be working in scaling the Metacartel community is almost like, in a way, this like, meta brand franchising in the ecosystem right now you have you see so many projects called meta something 99 percent of it if it's in the crypto space right it's probably created by an existing meta cartel dao member where it's their own project right and they may be collect collaborating with other meta cartel dao members right but ultimately it's their project but you know it's kind of like run on the the same ethos philosophy and values of meta cartel and thus it sits inside its like kingdom if you will right and they've each like been collecting their own community and drawing unique crowds to them. It's not just everyone being in the same community, right? It's like Cooper and James O'Hara created, you know, a meta clan, an esports uh, DAO, right? Focused on crypto native gaming and making money from that. That's attracted its own crowd. We have Meta Factory, the e-commerce, crypto e-commerce, uh, I guess. It's like Shopify, but with bunny codes, basically, 
on crypto. And that's attracted its own community of artists as it's like created, you know, various initiatives like such things such as setting up land on crypto voxels, right? And buying art even from other artists. There's also metagame. Yes, metagame, a religion who's been attracting its own crowd too. That, but the interesting thing is that everyone who has been involved with these smaller communities, right, or smaller subgroups have all at least been very sympathetic with the Metacard's whole ethos and values. It's actually always kind of been kept within it because we've seeded uh, these smaller groups of Metacard's or core members who have been deeply involved. And for some reason, I think the culture, you know, stands by itself to some degree. And I think that's what's working and what's happening now organically. And I've been just like helping various groups spring out a bit. And we're scaling very vertically. I mean, I mean, horizontally, right? So in response, I don't know. Uh, this seems to be what's happening. It seems like there's like this top of the funnel, right? Where you get introduced into like the meta cartel, you get involved and then you kind of find your place. And if you don't, you contribute and you become like, I don't know exactly how to articulate the path toward core membership other than just involvement. It's kind of like when we identified someone's really radicalized and like really drunk in the Kool-Aid, we just really like wrote them in. Some people like fake Medicato and want to like steal, siphon this, the hype and whatever and collaborate and see that as a business transaction. But there's some people who we see are truly radicalized in his mission and, you know, everything we believe in. And that's, then we bring those folks in. Yeah, and then they actually then what happens is, you know, attach themselves to a group or create their own little like sub community. It's like Capos in a mob family spinning off and running their own family. Yeah, and I think the core, if I were to uh, think about like what makes this work, is that initial person has skin in the game. So it's like backwards. It's not like, what can I get out of the community? It's like, how can I participate? And that's kind of like the forcing function that differentiates those that are passionate and really want to get involved and interact versus those that want to just like rent seek and like try to do the minimum and then like see what they can get out of it. Right. I think that's the the difference in mentality. And this is how it's like the self-selected selecting process here. In a strange way, Medicotel has been able to help the doers a lot more. I actually think you'll find very little value if you're not <laughs> trying to build something right now because Metacontrol can like, get the eyes on it, the feedback, et cetera, right? Customers, users, and to some extent, right? Yeah, it's become this shelling point. And I think that that's why it has like this force behind it. And it's kind of this amorphous force because the core value is like give before you get and you will get back only as much as you, but you need to give first. Early on, creating fostering Metacartel was a lot of like keeping assholes out, keeping it very high signal and like, you know, instilling like a really strong sense of the values of like being action oriented, moving fast, not taking everything too seriously and things like that. Right. And I think now that this culture scaled, we got, we actually kind of put it down on paper and con zero last year and we've kind of scaled it. Right. That's like enables us to scale horizontally. We're reaching a state where it's kind of like just protecting that, to, in my opinion. It's like, you know, as it grows, once the core Metacontrol down membership goes to like 200 people, right? To me, that's like, we're in freefall. We're basically in complete freefall and you can't trim the bushes anymore, right? You can't, you cannot curate and you can't water this growing jungle anymore, right? You have to let the bird out of the nest and let it fly on its own. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, tools such as, you know, SignalDAO comes into importance actually because it's like i actually think um the power of DAOs is that they allow they potentially allow a community like metacartel to grow so quickly and out of control to a one a community manager's abilities right and they'll need tools to kind of uh scale the impact and scale this coordination right now we have these like less than 10 kind of subgroups but imagine like 30 to 40 that's going to happen next year like that's going to happen as we expand into china korea Eastern Europe, right, South America, each one of these will have two to three each, you know, little sub-projects come out, right, as we recruit more soldiers for the meta army, etc. We're going to get to a stage where we're going to need tools to collect a lot of feedback really quickly on projects that within the group. We need to collect interest really quickly. We need to get signal really quickly from the group. And yeah, that's something you've been working on, right? Yeah, that's kind of like what I kind of am thinking about where the puck is going. 
but now don't want to be too far ahead. I watched this YouTube video with Ed Sheeran. He's like a pop singer. And uh, he was on this like interview. So he was like, I can play any pop song using these four chords. And so he's like played these four chords. And then people are like shouting out like songs. And he's playing these songs in the same four chords. What that kind of really, you know, going back to what you're talking about in terms of like popularity and what does mass adoption mean? It means like being familiar. It's like taking something that we already are doing and then just it's about the small details. And when it comes to Ed Sheeran and these pop songs, all pop songs boil down to four chords because when you hear a new pop song, it has to be vaguely familiar, but also unique. And this is the edge that we're looking at in terms of like DAO ops. So uh, an example of this manifestation of how do you get into like mass adoption or into the popular kind of mainstream zeitgeist is instead of, can you turn a like into a vote? Now, like you're doing the same interaction, you're doing the same thing, but it has a slightly different meaning, right? Now there's value behind it. So instead of infinite amounts of likes, what if you like are voting and when you vote, it's limited, right? Or something like that. Even time scarcity, you've like just limited time to vote or like something. You just change it a little bit. And I think the problem with like quote unquote mass adoption and the whole like, you know, movement for like UX and everything is just trying to minimize what people have to learn. Because if people have to have this thing that they need to learn before they actually do the thing that they you want them to do, like write down their seed phrase and know and understand, like if they lose it, they lose their money, all of that kind of stuff, or DevX of like, what's a Web3 provider and all of that, like that is going to take a generation to kind of like grow up and be native in order to hit the scale. It's actually interesting because, you know, pretty radical uh, perspective compared to, you know, almost two years ago where it's like, you know, we're nearly there. We just got to create a ramp. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like to, to have better onboarding, you know, and then it's like, maybe it's like literally need people to grow up with entirely new meanings of what a community is. People need to grow up not playing Halo or being in like Steam, right? Talking in chat rooms, but like being in a, for-profit esports DAO with all the other friends competing for real money every night, right? And then maybe that's like, you know, the norm, right? I think of it in terms of like trying to talk to quote-unquote normies about this outside of like Web3. It's really just the future of work. Things like coronavirus. I think coronavirus will do more for remote work than anything, any tool or software will. And so this is kind of the future here. And crypto is part of that right? The future of work, you already have a generation of people collaborating, you know, like in games and clans or guilds, they already know how to work and coordinate and they probably never even met each other. So that generation is growing up. There's this generation growing up now, like, you know, on TikTok of like putting themselves out there. Very brave. Yeah. People are more ruthless. Yeah. Exactly. And so you have this, like, you see it kind of happening at the edges. And I don't know when or how it will happen, but, you know, it just seems inevitable to me. And so for me, it's not so much like knowing what that next killer app is or how to like create the perfect DAO. It's just like being being there and being in the mix. And I think more than anything, there's this like difference I see really when I talk to people of people that talk about it and the people that are living it. It's so much more meaningful when, uh, like, in this conversation with you, because you're living it. I'm living it. We're, we're living this. Yeah, I've, like, mainly accepted that. If we're trying to, you know, like, just digging back into history, right? I remember you were the one who actually said, read this book, which was, like, how the incident happened. And that really instilled the idea that, that, you know, the incident was, like, just, like, a bunch of missteps and mishaps. And no one knew what they were doing, right? No one had a sense of timing. You literally had Mark Andreessen roll up to San Francisco in, in 1993, right? And then he's like, oh, the incident boom's over. What am I going to do now, right? And it's like the most absurd kind of sense of like mistiming, right? And to me, that really instilled that, you know, no matter how I feel, no matter what I think, uh, no matter what I think is right, <laughs> no matter what my mental model is, it's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know what. I probably won't even comprehend what it is until after the fact. I may just 
be waiting for <laughs> anything and everything, and it could be it, right? And I guess that's where I've kind of accepted that, you know, I don't really give a shit about, care about mass adoption, right, in the broad sense. But, you know, I think that's just not the right mental model and said, that's where my focus of like one community at a time comes from, one doubt at a time comes from. And just like trying to solve one problem at a time, right? And, you know, iterate on that. I think the rest is up to really, you know, time itself, right? And how well people respond, how well, you know, people take to it, how, you know, situation, luck. It's just, you know, a lot of failure and then some success, hopefully, and then uh, being able to capitalize on this asymmetric information advantage, right? You have to be optimistic in many senses to have like, to get the nuanced insights that you do get from MetaClan, from these tiny bits. It's like, if you're always shitting on these things, right, you'll never be able to see the hints of like these truths that will reappear and reappear. I just never got why anyone in crypto would be so cynical of like, all these dApps and whatever, when like, I just think you'll miss it if you don't watch carefully. And it's easy to connect the dots looking back. After. Yeah, it's impossible to connect the dots looking forward because it really was, I don't know why, but to me, like meeting after DevCon and having all these people together that have skin in the game come together was like super powerful for me. I don't know if it was just the visceral and seeing everyone actually there, but that like helped synthesize a lot of things for me. And I would never have like been able to think deeply and be like impacted, I guess, emotionally or whatever you want to call it, if I wasn't there and I did not witness that with my own eyes. Right. And then that made me really think deeply about like, wait a second, this is actually affecting people's lives. That is the key, right? People like, you know, who aren't into the NFT crypto space, right? Like, or art space, think NFT art is a joke, but it's like, actually, like you said, changing people's lives and how they work. Same with DAOs. Maybe we're the first of them, but it is creating concrete change in a significant way, right? It affects your reality. And so then you're like, wait a second. Okay, all these people came on their own accord. Things are happening. And so that made me really think and kind of shift here in terms of like, and on the surface, when it comes to like what we're doing at a bridge, it might seem like a complete different pivot and that we're like this whatever. But I feel like we're going deeper and deeper and figuring the problem out. I really like the new direction because to me, it's like when I first went on the landing page, when you showed it to me, I was like, this is it. Previously, I've like given you feedback of like, yeah, like death toy. Like, wow. <laughs> it's like, just, like, no one's going to use it. It's like, I was like, ah, uh, I was like, uh. I'm warming up to a lot of the no-code stuff now, but even like in isolation, I'm like, that needs to be paired with like, you know, practice and like the right operators, right? My background and experience, I grew up on the internet, basically, in chat groups, chat rooms. From very early age, I started coordinating online communities. <laughs> so to me, they've always been part of me. And to me, it's like, wait, I've like coordinated them the whole time. Now I'm like, can I make a living off of through communities? Like right now, my goal is survival. What I really appreciate from a lot of the meta folks, right, meta cartel folks, is that this, we have a lot of ride or die people, like putting real skin in the game with like the Odyssey folks have created the raid guild, like where they're spending a lot of the time, like of their working hours, actually doing client work now. People are spending a significant amount of their time, like more than part time, you know, working on operations of the raid guild while working other jobs and other gigs. It's got, come from like a bunch of people just working on some side projects. We're like almost full time on this now. So yeah, it's just definitely uh, pretty profound, but I think we yet to just like one doubt at a time, right? Yeah, and then we'll figure out what like the deeper problems are. And, you know, to me now, it feels like it's just like about human coordination and like, can you standardize these processes somehow? And I think, you know, you need to have the right coordinating abilities to kind of dig deeper as well. It's like, you'll never be able to see what like a thousand member DAO really looks like when it grows from zero to a thousand if you never to get there in the first place. I just think we haven't experimented enough. Like, you know, it's just so simple. Like we haven't built enough. We haven't built enough communities. We haven't helped going through the process enough. And I think that's part of the core value where I think Meta Cartel actually shines when you don't take yourself too seriously. And if you don't, then it's okay to fail. It's okay to experiment. It's okay to like do a bunch of different things. And these crazy ideas, there'll be like these hints, like you said you pull on these little hints and then you like 
bring them and knit them together. And you only can see these hints if you're part of it and you're actually doing it. I don't think like if we have like personally how I see it is that, you know I'm not Vitalik I'm not smart I'm not like a genius deeply technical game theoretic hurts my head you know I get you know James Watt to take a look at it I'm to me it's like just doing the simple things and just repeating and if you can get the simple things down then maybe you know you can pick it up over time right I think just being steady right and you know not getting distracted I guess not getting distracted by cynicism even to some extent because it is like a long thing you know a long period of time experimenting just doing and spinning the wheels or are you learning something new right and i think a lot of that is just you need to go to the next level right you need to keep pushing you need to take those chances you have to be really comfortable with the unknown and not just try to package up and make it known people try to get i think in general and i do this too like you want to get to the answer as quickly as possible it's about asking the right questions and being comfortable with like the own unknown part of a of where this is going. I think we know kind of where this eventually leads to in terms of like whatever you want to call the future of work or like this is the future kind of thing of how people coordinate, but no one knows how we're going to get there. So it's like experimenting and being comfortable with like not knowing and keeping yourself and putting yourself out there. Through Venture, I've been talking to a lot of uh, investors in the space who've been around pre-ERC 20 days, like pre-ICO days. I really like those folks because they really fucking get it because they saw like this emergent rise of like, what the fuck is the ERC-20? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, what is that, right? And, you know, why is it making everyone so rich, you know, and like why people tend to do a lot of it, you know? And from their perspective, I can see that they completely like just settled and accepted that there's going to be new asset classes. There's going to be new opportunities to invest. They're going to look nothing like anything before. They're going to, the dynamics are completely going to be thrown out the window. And it's okay. I like those folks the best, right? Yeah, because if you think you know the answer, then you're, there's no way to learn. And like, this is all what it's about. It's just trying to like learn here. And uh, we're learning in real time, this emergent design. I guess for a bridge, you know, you guys are focusing on, you know, helping build tooling for a lot of these DAOs right now. You know, what else is on your plate aside from like Signal DAO? We have a bunch of like no code, Things. So we're able to, uh, for East Denver in this workshop, try to create these like no code flows. And, you know, the like easy low hanging fruit is like mint your own token. I was kind of surprised, like I actually, you know, did it myself and trying to dog food my own tooling was able to create like a call it the YOLO flow in less than five minutes. And I'm like, wow, this is really powerful. And then trying to get non-Web3 perspective into this. So reached out to my network, got a developer that I worked with in gaming who is interested in crypto, but didn't know any solidity or any like contract programming or anything. He was able to create this, for lack of a better term, uh, ABI parser. In Node-RED, what he did was he created this module that just with a contract address, you put it into the module, and if that contract address has been verified on Etherscan, it goes to Etherscan, pulls the ABI, and now you have the ability to wire up any smart contract. With all of the things that are happening right now with like all the flash loan stuff, creating a bunch of flows, you know, with like kind of combining DeFi and, and DAOs. And DeFi and terrorism. What's interesting is uh, we can't, you know, it's this emergent second order effects of like, flows that we can create. So I know there has been from all the flash loan stuff, this like FM ETH is what they call it, flash mint ETH, where you can actually mint an infinite amount of ETH as long as like you return it in the same block. That got me to thinking where, you know, you can create a DAO that like pulls all the funds together. And when the DAO isn't being used for uh, flash loans, what you can do is that DAO could actually bear interest using RDI, for example, and then pay for meta transaction fees. It's stuff like that that I think you know we can play around with and see. And I guess mental kind of constraint that I need to pull myself back from is like I like to push myself too far into the future. But what's like the next step that we can actually do? And so for Bridge, it's like playing around with like these different flows. Yeah, I think SignalDAO was a good ex a good example, you know, of like something that was very practical. Like, you know, yes, there's like 
most members aren't metacarsal DAO members or even any DAO members. But you know, people, a lot of people submitted ideas that like we, that wasn't on my uh, radar. A lot of them weren't that great, but a lot there were a lot of input, even from existing grantees of metacarsal DAO, which made no sense. <laughs> Did you, you know, we gave you money, right? <laughs> you know, we do. This is a funnel to apply for money. So, like, a lot of weird things happen, which, like, I just didn't really expect. And, uh, you know, that made me question, you know, what if, like, this is just, like, a really good way to vacuum up ideas and, like, you know, get really quick feedback? That's interesting. Um, like, you didn't really need, like, proposal time. You could just limit the time, you know. You didn't really need to use, like, a DAO for say, right? It's really, but in, in many, many senses, it's just membership, right? And then voting. That's kind of it, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, from a like a business sense, we didn't want to lock up any funds or anything like that in the in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, but I think um, when deployed in the right environment, you know, from a user research, like you know, done a lot of user research gigs in the past, right? And to me, my as previous in my roles, I was talking to a lot of um, you know, users and customers and getting that insight uh, and getting that those insights back to the original uh, product team, right? Uh, as soon as I can, and as well communicated as I can. And my role is to make sure the information disseminated from product to, you know, to the CEO, to the marketing team, to everyone, as most efficiently as I can, right? Information flow made the team strong and built better products, marketed better things, right? To me, this is almost seeing like, almost like a robot version of that, where it's like, you know, you're taking information from the group that, you know, it has, and, you know, kind of solving a lot of the information symmetry and getting, you know, better signal and judgment from the group to help other members perhaps and this information is just being like spread around the group much more efficiently it solves a lot of the efficiency of like you know just posting the group chat and that's lost right right so yeah i think information flow this is like you know one of the key areas in which i can see like this automating within large-scale communities and DAOs. right Mm -hmm. that's a great point i never thought about it that way now that I think about it, like, you know, so James Duncan is not like a, a solidity or a, like a backend dev. He created SignalDAO. Yes, he's like massively evolved. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he, he, create, he created the SignalDAO. So I think like part of like getting to 1 million devs is redefining the... What is a dev? Yeah, what is a dev, right? And so I think like you just got to lower the barrier. Uh, and then like with the distribution, right, having it all on Telegram, makes it easy and people just have to click a button. They don't have to like go to a site. They don't have to make sure they have the right MetaMask. They don't have to like have enough guests, but like all of that kind of stuff. You just like lower the barrier, like all the way around. And that's kind of like where we see things kind of going. And so I know that like that will happen in three, five years, but what's the like immediate next step? How do we like help service? Like you were saying, Right. Not like looking at the horizon toward mass adoption, because if you keep your eyes on the horizon, you're going to trip over your feet because you're not looking down at the next step. Like, what's the next step here? My thoughts, I talked to James Duncan, at least, right, was, you know, I think there's maybe uh, an area for Bridge to kind of like fit in where, you know, it's actually providing DAO tooling to these this new class of DAOs and charging maybe even enterprise level uh, pricing models. But, you know, enabling, like, you know, the user capacity to be way bigger and accommodating for that, right? Because there are some tools that, you know, within DAOs that you can't actually live without. I can see, you know, something such as SignalDAO being a need. Like, I can see people getting in the habit of using it and relying on it to a point where, would you take it away? Would we keep it for, like, $100 a month? Yeah, probably. You know, can we keep it for, like, $500 a month? And then on top of that, additional iteration development? I'm like, yeah. That makes sense to me. You know, like, you know, James Duncan was just talking about, you know, getting grants from Medicare Dow to fund a lot of the work, right? And he was asking for 500 a month, three months as a trial, right? If you can build useful stuff, right, which I can see that's happening and it's like needed, there's no reason, you know, we wouldn't like pay like a thousand dollars for like a whole suite of tools uh, and have like iteration on top of it. And I think that could be a viable path for middle ground. I mean, like, for example, Telefuel. I would pay a lot, that's a small case, but that would pay a lot of, I thought about this even last night, even more. Like how much money would I like <laughs> pay to keep Telefuel? And like the answer went embarrassingly high. To the point <laughs> where I would probably, if I could afford it, I would pay, but it would just like make me broke. <laughs> Did I mean, it, it, I, I thought about like how much it meant. There's value there. Yeah, so a much. A lot of value. Yeah, 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 yeah. To the point where I would probably uh, ask the Dow support to pay software like, paid Telefuel like 500 a month even, right? To just like make, get me, to get it to me. 
because that's how I deal with information flow. And it's just a small feature of like, look at unread. Yeah, because it, it's so critical in terms of like these chat groups and how we coordinate and, and whatnot. I think like a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm now overgeneralizing knowing that we're on, that we're recording this for the podcast, but it's like everyone's talking about protocols and apps and DeFi, <laughs> but it's like, we just need like simple communication coordination tools within like whatever chat group or chat app you're using. Like, like we need this, we need fun, simple things. Like, you know, how do we like award someone with an NFT inside a chat? <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? it's like, why, why? It's like, that's such a stupid, simple thing. Why don't we, why isn't that, you know, just made or created, you know? So that's another thing that we're working on actually, just real quick. So Telegram has this Stripe integration and Telegram takes 0% fee. And so like with a, I had a test credit card and literally less than 20 seconds, I'm able to like purchase and use Stripe. And then I set it up with an NFT factory where you can just buy an NFT. I'm like, there's something there. I had an idea when you told me about that the other day where it's like, what if you had a bot, right? That, you know, it's like a Telegram art auctioner. Like it's your NFC art agent. You get it to subscribe to certain artists, right? That release art on known origin or super rare or whatever, right? And then whenever they have a new art piece of art, they just like, it drops down in your bot <laughs> and they show it to you and you just like buy or, or save or favorite, whatever, you know? And it's like direct, um, direct sales perhaps, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, that rem- that that reminds me, Fred Wilson. He has his blog, and he was saying like he was able to like get into the sale of like these rare Air Jordans or some shoe collector because he got a notification, right? Yeah, I saw that. No, that's actually what triggered it as well. Interestingly enough, I was like, wait, because art, NFT art gets sold out really quickly for certain artists. Yeah, and so these bots are not like. When he, he coined, or he said that, I don't know who coined the term of crypto adjacent. So that's what these tools are, are like crypto adjacent. So you have these bots, you know, that allow you to do things that are like crypto-like. And I think that's kind of the bridge. Oh, to, fuck. You know, <laughs> God uh, damn it. <laughs> uh, to like, you know, real use case. And so, yeah, I think there's something there. But again, like it's just trying to be actionable and to your point like you know now for us it's like trying to figure out how we offer services that people will pay for and not be scared of like asking for revenue where it just seems so antithetical to everything that's happening in web3 right now right but just have these like subscription or service-based like revenue models Um, i think that is kind of where we're like heading toward just to Traditional monetization kind of like revenue business model, and then not overcomplicate it with like this and that token or whatever. It's not even like you know going back to traditional means. It's just like you know getting money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, 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 you know money. like hey, yeah. Well, like you know, we're gonna offer you the solution for how long? You know, we're gonna charge you now for that. That's right. And if you build useful things, and people will pay for them. Yeah, that's the signal. That's the ultimate signal. Is like people paying. Cool. This has been a fairly long episode, uh, so I think we're going to wrap up now. Do you have any uh, last thoughts? Yeah, just super interested in what you are doing uh, and the rest of the ecosystem in terms of now moving from like grant-giving DAOs to revenue-generating DAOs and communities and whatnot. And yeah, I think now, to be honest, I kind of hope that the bear market would give us a little bit more cover so that. Now I think a lot of noise is going to enter in, so it's going to be hard to decipher. That's what I. That's what we wanted, you know, when we created the Metacontrol DAO. Remember the prices were increasing around that time. Yeah. Fuck, slow down. <laughs> exactly. But then we got the year that we needed. But you know. Yeah. So it's not like I. I of course, I w- I would like the price to go, but it's like you know I I I'd rather like focus on like trying to know what is useful and now like yeah, I, think- I mean it's like you know the bull market's going to come back a ton of noise and we have to be one thing that i feel like that's actually the biggest threat to medical you know just on getting drinking the kool-aid you know getting distracted and not being like grounded with reality because like right now if you're not grounded to reality you'll miss the nuance hints you're just going to be high on you you're going to be high on financial euphoria and you think you're a genius 
And like all of that distracts you from like picking up these small hints of like doing and launching, right? And iterating. Exactly. To me, that's actually the scariest thing. It's like if we can instill and get everyone back down to fucking earth and make sure we're grounded, we'll, we'll be fine. Like, you know, that's 80% of it. Going back to that book, How the Internet Happened, it really was that experimentation after the dot-com bubble that actually created a lot of innovation because, you know, people are in it for the right reasons. They were there because they're passionate about it. And again, going back to like Metacartel, it's skin in the game first. Like, what can you give rather than what can you get? So, yeah, I'm just hoping that that continues until we kind of figure something out, right, in terms of like this next phase. If you can keep focused and, you know, uh, avoid distractions while everyone's getting financially high, you can resist that for a bit, you'll have a really fucking strong edge, I think. That's right. You know, Metacartel isn't like polish. It's that drunk uncle slopping around, you know, <laughs> swinging around, trying to find his car keys, whatever, right? And eventually gets there, right? I mean, basically, Metacartel <laughs> wasn't pretty, right? It's not polished. It's not very uncouth from any senses. It's sloppy. It's messy. But that's life. But yeah, yeah, but the thing is, you know, we're actually, you know, from my, my perspective, we went from a fucking little Telegram working group chat to what we are now. And, you know, something I realized is that it's not about getting everything right. It's like, you know, just doing one or two things right and, you know, evolving it, right? And everything else will lag and follow. And that's why, you know, I'm heavily focused on like values, uh, mindset and just the right people because if you can get this down, you're kind of there. You're not there, but, you know, that's, that's a lot of it. And you'll... Everything else, you know, secondary in many senses. Yeah, it's the proper foundation. I absolutely agree. I'm super excited uh, about the future. Well, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed what you listened to and are interested in supporting this podcast, then please follow us on Twitter at Wizard of Daps. The show notes will be on our website. And if you want to continue the conversation, join our Telegram group. All links will be in the episode description. Thanks for listening.